the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. WTBN, Verse by Verse. Sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries. There's a new day coming in which the children of Israel will be our brothers and our sisters in the faith. And this must have been so meaningful to Paul. He, he loved Israel. He was willing to go to hell for the salvation of his brethren. But I think even beyond that, he was thrilled because finally, to the church at Rome and to all of us, the integrity of God is upheld. Welcome. This is Verse by Verse, and our teacher is Pastor Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. Today, Pastor Steve will wrap up a two-part message from the 11th chapter of Romans. Toward the end of the chapter, Paul compared what God had done with the Jews and the Gentiles to someone grafting an olive tree. Rather than grafting the cultivated tree onto the wild root, God grafted the wild branches onto the cultivated root. That is backwards from the way any fruit grower would work. Well, let's pick up there at verse 24 of Romans 11. Here is Pastor Steve. Now, there are some who come along and say, Paul has made a mistake. Doesn't he know this? Obviously, Paul knew this. He didn't, he didn't grow up in New York City. I mean, where very few trees grow. He grew up in this area of the world. He obviously knew what he was talking about, and that's why he said it is contrary to nature. Now, read, let's read verse 24 again. You'll have more understanding. If you were cut off from what is by nature a wild olive tree and were grafted contrary to nature into a cultivated olive tree, how much more shall these who are the natural branches, be grafted into their own olive tree. If God did something completely unnatural in the, in the world of olive trees, in the literal world of olive trees, how much easier will it be that he does something natural in the world of, of olive trees? And let me, let me get away from olive tree terminology and put it in our terminology. What Paul is really saying is this. Don't you Gentiles uh, glory over the Jews' present estate? Don't glory over it. Don't, don't be high-minded. If God can do such an unnatural thing as graft you, you people, into a good tree, then how much more easily could God graft natural branches into their own olive tree? I mean, after all, it is their own olive tree. Let me put it on the lower shelf. If God could take idolatrous, superstitious pagans and bring them to the Jews' religion, then how much easier will it be for God to take the Jewish people who have gone astray and bring them back to their own religion? That's what he's really saying. You know, in our day and age, we have made such a fuss over Jewish people coming to the Lord. Do you know that it is the most natural and normal thing for Jewish people to accept Christ? Do you know what's amazing? I'll tell you another perspective, and I, I really believe this is more biblical. What's amazing is that you're here not me. That's what's amazing. That's right. I mean, there ought to be uh, some organization called Gentiles for Jesus, because that, 
You like that one? That is incredible. That, if you want to look at it biblically, is more amazing than Jewish people coming to faith in Christ. You see, you look at me and you say, isn't that wonderful? A Jewish person would come to the Lord. I look at you and I say, isn't that wonderful? Pagans come to know the Lord. You see, when you think about it, what could be more normal than a Jewish person coming to faith in a Jewish Bible, in a Jewish Messiah, in a Jewish covenant with a Jewish system of atonement? Nothing. Nothing could be more natural than that. But I want you to know it is abnormal for pagans who were superstitious, who were idolatrous, who were in wicked unbelief to come to the Abrahamic covenants and be a part of the Jews' religion. That's abnormal. And even though we laugh at that, that really is incredible. You see, we, we tend, because the church in this day and age is primarily Gentile, we tend to think that's normal. It is abnormal. It is only by grace that, that all of us stand. I remember reading uh, Dr. McGee in one of his commentaries. I don't even know what the passage was. And he was just explaining the hideous background of, of his uh, ancestors. And he said they were wicked, filthy pagans. You see, that's amazing. That Gentiles in this day and age that come from such a wicked background, and I know you can't necessarily trace your family tree, but just read Romans chapter 1, you'll get the idea. It's what's amazing that you would come to, a, to the Jews' religion and believe in a Jewish Messiah and a Jewish Bible and a Jewish system of atonement. That's amazing. So what Paul is saying here is that don't think it's so incredible. God can easily bring them back. I mean, you're contrary to nature. They're not. But the question is, will God do this? He can do it. He says it's possible, but will he do it? Well, in verse 23, he said it was possible. In verse 24, he says it was probable. And now I want you to know in verse 25, he says it's predictable. It will happen. Verse 25, for I do not want you, brethren, to be uninformed of this mystery, lest you be wise in your own estimation that a partial hardening has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. What is a mystery? Paul says a mystery. It's not something that's mysterious. It's not an Agatha Christie novel. It is not something difficult to understand. There's not something uncanny. A biblical mystery is a piece of new information. That's all it is. Something that was kept secret in the heart and mind of God in ages past, but now is revealed for the first time in the New Testament. That's a mystery. There are a number of mysteries, but this one is dealing with Israel. The mystery. This mystery is so important that if Gentiles who are in the church grasp it, they'll, they'll be a cure to their pride. That's what he says. I don't want you to be uninformed, brethren. And usually whenever Paul says, I don't want you to be uninformed, it's because they're uninformed, brethren, of this mystery. Lest you be wise in your own estimation. If you don't understand this mystery, you won't conquer pride. You have to understand this mystery. Now, what is the mystery? The mystery is that a partial hardening has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. Some people want to just take the first part of it and say, that's the mystery. A partial hardening has happened to Israel. Now, uh, what do we mean? A partial hardening means that the whole nation of Israel has rejected the gospel except for a small minority, the remnant. That's why Paul says a partial hardening. Not all. Partially, they're hardened. Not everyone. Some people want to say that national rejection of God's revelation is the mystery. No, that's not true. 
Was it new that, a, that, that there would be some who would believe? See, he says that a partial hardening has happened to Israel. Was it new that the nation would reject and just a few would believe? No, we've shown that throughout Romans 9, 10, and 11, that that's always been God's plan. I mean, everybody in the Old Testament, if they knew their Bibles, would understand that the nation had rejected the truth and there was always just a handful who believed. That's nothing new. In fact, in Acts chapter 7, Stephen, the first Christian martyr, says in verse 51, he says to the religious leaders who are about to stone him, you men who are stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears are always resisting the Holy Spirit. And you do, uh, you're doing just as your fathers did. Which one of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who had previously announced the coming of the righteous one, whose betrayers and murderers you have become. Which one, he said? You've always resisted the Holy Spirit. That's nothing new. Israel's unbelief is nothing new. In fact, the, one of the premier prophets in the Old Testament, uh, Elijah, sat down one day and said, Lord, it's over. It's finished. They've all gone astray. They've, they've killed and they've torn down your altars. And God said, let me remind you, Elijah, I've got 7,000 I've reserved. See, that's not new. It's not new that there's always been a remnant and the majority haven't believed. That's the history of Israel. Right from the onset of their history, Moses said, you're a stiff-necked people. That's not new. Isaiah 6, judgment upon Israel. That's not new. But what is new? What is new? That has never been revealed in the Old Testament. It has never been revealed in Matthew. It has never been revealed in Mark. It has never been revealed in Luke. In John, in the book of Acts, it has not been revealed in Romans until you come to Romans 11, verse 25. This is the mystery, that there has been a partial hardening. The nation has been blinded except for a few. The nation has been hardened except for a few until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. The mystery is how long it will last. That's the mystery. How long it will be. And you'll not find an answer in the Old Testament or New Testament until you get to Romans chapter 11 verse 25. That's the mystery. This wasn't known to anyone apart from the mind and heart of God until the fullness of the Gentiles come in. Israel will be blind until the completion of the Gentiles. When that last Gentile comes to faith in Christ in this day and age, in the church age, when that happens, God's going to rapture the church. The close of, of the church age will take place. And God will once again turn his attention to Israel in the time of the tribulation. The fullness of the Gentiles is, is another way of saying the church age when God is saving, primarily saving Gentiles. The present age in which we live. In fact, in Acts chapter 15, at the Jerusalem Council... The Bible says this, Simeon, which is another way of saying Peter, has gotten up and said that individual Jews may be saved, but God in this day and age has turned to the Gentiles, and he is visiting the Gentiles to call out a people for his name. You want to know what God is doing in this day and age? Primarily, he is working with Gentiles. Unlike any other age, and this is why you need a perspective, a historical perspective of the Old Testament and prophecy to see this. We are in a unique age. And when we celebrate the Lord's Supper, it is very special because you are a unique people. Gentiles have never been saved like they are in this day and age. This is just for a brief period of time. And Israel has only been set apart, aside for just a brief period of time. 
when this age comes to a close, the rapture will take place. God will then turn his attention to Israel. This is during a period known as the tribulation period. But before Israel can be restored and converted, and that's what God says he's going to do, but there has to be the fullness of the Gentiles first, Satan's going to try to destroy Israel. All the anti-Semitism will kind of culminate in that in Matthew chapter 21, or 24 rather, verse 15 through 20. This is the tribulation period. Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation, which was spoken of through Daniel the prophet, standing in the holy place, let the reader understand what, what the abomination of desolation is, is that the Antichrist is going to claim that he is God. That's the abomination of desolation. Let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. He's speaking now of a future time. Let those who are in Israel get out of there. Let him who is on the housetop not go down to get the things out that are in the house. It's going to be such a horrible time. The Antichrist will break his covenant with Israel. He will say that he is God. He will demand worship. Jesus said, get out of there. Don't even go back into your house. Run into the, into the mountains to hide. But woe to those who are with child and those who nurse babes in those days. Terrible thing because you're going to have to be on the move. And it's not easy to be on the move when you're nursing. And that's what he's saying. But pray that your flight may not be in winter or on the Sabbath. Pray that it's not like that because it's going to be terrible and you want to move and get out of there and you don't want to be hindered by poor weather. For then there will be great tribulation such as has not occurred since the beginning of the world until now nor ever shall. And unless those days had been cut short, no life would have been saved. But for the sake of the elect, and the elect here is Israel. Those days will be cut short, primarily Israel. Yes, there's coming a time where Satan will pour out his wrath upon Israel like never before. And God says, if, if those days were not cut short, no one would be delivered and saved. But thank God there is deliverance. Would you turn to the Old Testament book of Zechariah, which is just a few books before Matthew, just at the ends, right, right before Malachi, as the Old Testament comes to a close. Zechariah 13.8 says this, and this is during the tribulation. You have to put this together. And, I, and it will come about in all the lands. Chapter 13, verse 8 declares the Lord that two parts of it will be cut off and perish. But the third will be left in it. What he's saying is two-thirds of the Jewish population will die. If we think that the Holocaust was horrible, it'll be nothing compared to this. Two-thirds of all the Jewish people, probably millions, will die. But the remaining one-third will live, and they'll go through such a period of suffering, suffering that it will do what? It will refine them. It will bring them to the point where they repent of their unbelief and they turn to the Messiah. Look at verse 9 of Zechariah 13. Just after he said two-thirds will be cut off and one-third will be left in the land, and I will bring the third part through the fire refine them as silver is refined and test them as gold is tested. They will call on my name and I will answer them and I will say they are my people and they will say the Lord is my God. Precious truth. Precious truth. And when Christ returns, they'll believe in him. 
they'll believe in the one whom they pierce. Would you look at Zechariah 12.10, just one chapter before. And I will pour out on the house of David and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and of supplication so that they will look on me whom they have pierced and they will mourn for him as one mourns for an only son and they will weep bitterly over him like the bitter weeping over a firstborn. Chapter 13, verse 1. In that day, a fountain will be opened for the house of David and for the inhabitants of Jerusalem for sin and for impurity. The blood they'll finally see that flows from a, flowed from Emmanuel's veins will, will cleanse them. There'll be a national mourning. Even though their greatest victory has just taken place, the Messiah has come and delivered them from their enemies, they will mourn as they never mourned before because God will take away that blindness and they will understand that the one who they pierced is none other than their long-awaited Messiah. And then will take place what Paul predicted in verse 26. And thus all Israel will be saved. Now, does this mean that every Jew is ever going to be saved? No. It means that every Jew alive, the one-third of the nation that goes through the tribulation, will be saved. That's what it means. It means, uh, as the person who came up to me last week said, is it a remnant? It's got to be the remnant. Well, the remnant's the only group that's left. In one sense, it's the remnant, but it's also the majority now. It's the nation. And the question is, does this mean every single Jew without any exception? I, I tend to think not. I tend to think that it means the majority, the overwhelming majority, because Ezekiel chapter 20, verses 33 through 38, say that the rebels will be purged out. So I believe if you put it together, it's this. When Christ comes back, there'll be a small minority of Jews who still refuse to believe. There'll be some Jews who will still refuse to believe, even though most have. And they will be purged out from the majority, and the rest of the nation will be sent into the millennial kingdom, and thus all Israel will be saved. Just as now there's only a remnant that believe, so then there'll be only a remnant that will not believe. I think that's the more balanced picture. All Israel will be saved. What Paul has waited for, what Israel has waited for, what you have waited for, what God has waited for, will take place. I want you to understand there's a new day that's coming. You witness to your Jewish friends now, and it's frustrating. Why? Because there's a blindness to them. There's a hardness. They don't, they're not interested. They're not concerned. And it's so clear to you. Why? Because your blindness has already been taken away. But there's a new day coming in which the children of Israel will be our brothers and our sisters in the faith. And this must have been so meaningful to Paul. He, he loved Israel. He was willing to go to hell for the salvation of his brethren. But I think even beyond that, he was thrilled because finally, to the church at Rome and to all of us, the integrity of God is upheld. The rest of verse 26 and following says this, just as it is written. All Israel will be saved just as it is written. In other words, God's word will come to pass. God never breaks a promise. The deliverer will come from Zion. He'll remove ungodliness from Jacob. And this is my covenant. He means the new covenant now where he puts his law within their heart and forgives their sins. This is my covenant with them when I will take away their sins. Paul quotes Isaiah 59. It's written and God keeps his word. God is not a man that he should lie. 
God doesn't do that. God cannot lie. You see, the argument that began in chapter 9 is God been unfaithful to Israel has finally ended. It has culminated in this. It's written. All Israel will be saved. Don't get uptight. God keeps his word. Let's look at verse 28. What does it say to us then? From the standpoint of the gospel, they, meaning Israel, they're enemies. They're enemies for your sake. Do you know that? For your sake, they're enemies. That's, that should not breed anti-Semitism. That, that ought to breed a spirit of love. Because for your sake, God has worked it out that they don't accept the gospel. For your sake, that the sake of the Gentiles, that salvation has come to you. You ought to be grateful in that sense, not rejoicing in their sin, but you ought to love them. But they are enemies of the gospel in this day and age for your sake. But from the standpoint of God's choice, God's election, they're beloved for the sake of the Father. They may hate the gospel, and they may hate you, and they may despise your message, but remember, from God's point of view, they're beloved. Not because they're anything special, but because of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and the promises God made. God never breaks a covenant. Not when it's unconditional. And that's what this is. God still has a future for Israel. And you know how we know it? Look at verse 29. For the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable, which means without repentance, which means God never changes his mind. God is not a man that he should repent. God has never changed his mind about Israel. And what's our response? Humility. That's the whole point. Paul says, I don't want you Gentiles to be ignorant of this. There is a future restoration. Don't be high-minded. Just make sure that you are true believers. Just make sure that you stand by, by faith and the, and the grace of God. Make sure of that. God has not forgotten his people. And to you who know Christ, I say, God will never forget you. Even if you may forget him, God will never forget you. You know what all I have to say is great is God's faithfulness. Isn't that, isn't that true? Great is thy faithfulness. Great, great truth. So be encouraged. Be encouraged by those you witness to. If the rapture were to take place now, today, those Jewish people would go into the tribulation. We don't know if they'd make it out alive, but those who do will be saved. God's word is true. Let's pray. Father, our hearts are burdened for dear Israel, your covenant people that have broken the covenant, and yet you haven't, you never will. Lord, for those of us who are in touch with Jewish people, may our hearts break like Paul, Paul's did for them. Lord, may we not look down upon them, but understand that they will reign in the kingdom someday. They will be saved. They will be flaming evangelists, at least 144,000 of them during the tribulation. They will be like little Apostle Pauls running around boldly proclaiming the gospel. Lord, help us not look down upon them. Father, help us to be not conceited, but to realize that we only stand in the place of blessing because of grace and faith. And not faith that we muster up ourselves, for even faith is a gift from you. Father, I pray that we'll go from here First of all, those who don't know you might be pierced their hearts, even as Israel will be pierced when they realize that they've rejected you and that there would be deep repentance. Lord, bring those to yourself who need salvation. We pray that they'll come forward after the service and let us know that they are in need of spiritual guidance. 
Father, for those of us who know Christ, help us, Lord, to have deep humility, a deep love for Israel, and a deeper love for the God of Israel, and a deeper love for your word, which cannot be broken. Lord, we've staked our, our eternity upon the trustworthiness of Scripture. Help us in our daily struggles and battles to also trust the word of God. For if you're true to Israel, you'll be true when we have a problem and we have difficulties, when we need guidance, when we need help, when we need finances, when we are in deep need of all kinds of things, you're true to your word. And we pray you'll remind us of that even throughout this week. For we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Our time is up for today, but please be here for the next verse by verse. Pastor Steve Kreloff will continue our studies in Romans chapter 11. Pastor Steve is the teaching pastor at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. These radio adaptations of his messages are produced by Verse by Verse Ministries. You can find us on the web at versebyverseradio.org. We have been learning about God's faithfulness. Next time we meet, we will consider His mercy. I'm Peter Silsa. I hope to see you then. You've been listening to Verse by Verse, sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries. This program was pre-recorded. To learn more, including how to donate to this ministry, visit versebyverseradio.org. That's versebyverseradio.org. We are here to give you strength between... Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.